So with that, um, I think Dr. Odom, I think we're ready to press forward with your presentation. Okay, okay. So um, I'll tell you a little bit more about myself. First of all, um, I've been in person this whole time, so I'm not as tech savvy as you might be expecting. Please bear with me, um, but I hope it goes well. Uh, I've been at Bridges this past year, which is an autism center. I do diagnostic evaluations as well as treatment there. So I'm a licensed psychologist as well as a board certified behavior analyst. Um, so I specialize in the behavioral treatment of people with autism. There I did very young children, but I also have uh, like one to six age range, but I also have experience with teenagers through adults. Um, I will start working at UNM Medical Group in Sandoval Regional next week. Uh, that I'll be working more with adults with autism and teenagers there. Um, okay, so that's a little bit about me. And then I guess I share my screen. I'm sorry, I don't know how to do this <laughs> to get the, to show you all the slides. Can I do this? Share. Can everyone see that maybe? Okay. Yes, doctor, it looks good. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay, let's start. And you can call me Jaxie, sorry. That's how you pronounce my first name. Jaxie, taxi, like yes. with a J. Okay. Um, so I will be presenting today on some information, especially regarding teenagers on the spectrum. Uh, but like I said, I have experience across the lifespan as well as um, across the spectrum. So um, is there any questions about that? Or I may kind of give a little more broader information, that's why, uh, and I'll get started. And I also wanna talk about different things that we can do as providers and then also um, that we can do as a community and as a the police force all of us together to um, have more successful outcomes for people with autism um, as well as people on the police force and our community as a whole okay so it sounds like a lot of this group is pretty knowledgeable so i'm going to keep it brief but i wanted to start with this slide to really help us picture and identify autism on a personal level, um, more than just a diagnostic criteria, especially because that's not relevant to everyone here. So go ahead, picture someone with autism. So did anybody picture somebody like Stephen Wilshire? Um, Stephen Wilshire is an adult black male. Uh, most people picture three-year-old white males um, and are very different than this, uh, than Steven or other members of the autism community. So I like to point him out. Um, he's also been knighted, so he's has some success there. Um, people kind of as adults, as they grow up, their potential and just kind of seeing the spectrum as a whole person. The reason he's holding that drawing is that he was knighted for his ability and talents of drawing entire city landscapes. This is Dr. Temple Grandin, someone who has had severe autism as a young child and now is a professor at Colorado State and also an autism advocate. 
And then this is Sergeant O'Laughlin. So yes, um, some of you may know a few people, even on the force in Albuquerque or wherever you are that have autism. Uh, he's a really interesting case because he's also started an autism support group for people um, on the police force. So he's kind of a good resource for things like that and offering that support for people with autism. Okay, so here's some things that I think that we all need to know about autism. So first, it doesn't manifest physically. So unlike Down syndrome or fetal alcohol syndrome or a few other um, genetic disorders, you can't look at somebody and know that they have autism, which makes everyone's job here a little more challenging. I recognize that. Um, so you just get to like me, okay, this person has autism and this is how I respond. You really need more information. Um, people with autism can have unusual, but often highly effective calming strategies. I mentioned this because sometimes these behaviors that they use can seem like drug addiction um, or dangerous or just so unusual, it makes us uncomfortable. Uh, so asking parents or asking other people that are around if these things or if this happens for them can be really important because they might be trying to calm down and we're trying to restrain them or we're trying to um, aggressively yell at them or get their attention. And instead of calming down, they'll amp up. So just knowing, okay, we'll let them calm down and then move forward, even if this seems weird to us, uh, could be helpful in managing a stressful situation. So it's, uh, it's also good to know that people with autism often avoid eye contact, become overwhelmed, and respond well to clear contingencies. So I bring that up um, also in the context of stressful situations is while some people with autism can make great eye contact, it's very overwhelming sometimes to do that. There's just so much going on for them and so much they need to be paying attention to um, that they may avoid it. And so they're not being shifty or lying necessarily. They're just um, trying to stay focused um, and they can become overwhelmed in the environment. So, you know, loud noises, yelling, um, just a lot of people even can really be overwhelming for them, um, especially in terms of like the stimuli. It can be like a yeah, hundred times what it is for you. Uh, and that's very common with a lot of people with autism is having these sensory overloads. And I'd also add that they respond well to clear contingencies. So I know um, people try to manage things very um, succinctly, uh, but trying to make it very clear and broken down is more helpful too. Maybe visuals if you can. Um, sometimes they respond better to that sort of um, communication or just making everything very clear like you know put the knife down and we can walk away or just really clear like you're talking to um, somebody who's overwhelmed and freaking out not overwhelming them further uh, and then keeping everything like follow through is also really helpful uh, as we found out in that case presentation as well, people with autism may have medical comorbidities. I have seizures um, here that I'm hoping that you all have that information before you get there. But again, those can be triggered by lights or stress or many other things, depending on the seizure. Um, they could also have you know, other medical things going on that we need to be paying attention to. Um, just because they have autism doesn't mean that that's it. Unfortunately, a lot of things can happen and um, they can have a lot of other medical comorbidities either through genetics or through 
um, experiences that they've had. So that's what I would say for a need to know for everyone when you're um, addressing stressful situations with people with autism um, and trying to get better outcomes with that. So specifically teenagers with autism, the first thing I have on here is that they're motivated by the restricted interests. So in order to meet criteria for autism, you have to have a repetitive and restricted interest. And this may be highly unusual to us, you know, it could be animals or it could be the color blue or it could be string or things like that, um, or it could be race cars. It could be anything, but it's just this very um, restricted interest in it. For example, knowing the name of every single dinosaur that's ever existed. Most people don't know that, especially like younger kids or teenagers. Um, and so knowing everything about a certain topic is one example, or um, repetitively saying the same thing over and over again, or watching the same show over and over again. These are all examples that I think could be helpful. Like it's good to know that they're motivated by these things because um, if you're having a hard time getting them to calm down or to comply with what they need to do, and then you can offer these things. It's like, okay, now do this, and then you'll get something else um, that they're interested in that could be beneficial to them. And it could also calm them down. A lot of people with autism are comforted by these interests as well. Um, and it can help you build rapport. Like if you know something about it, uh, to talk to them about it, uh, or things like that. I would also add that they're not always responsive to verbal cues. So sort of what I was saying earlier about the visuals if possible. Um, sometimes they become so overwhelmed that it's hard for their brain to process or differentiate between what you may be saying and the sounds in the environment and the lights and their parents and just everybody around. Um, so patience or just other ways to communicate I think could be really helpful. Uh, I also say to, to keep in mind that they may script. So scripting is a term that uh, professionals sometimes use to describe like repeating things that they've heard earlier. So uh, maybe they were watching a cop show, you know, two weeks ago, and now they're being reminded of it or they're overwhelmed or they're scared. And you're trying to talk to them and they're just repeating uh, what they heard. So a dialogue that they heard on that show, they may repeat over and over again, um, or they may be trying to comfort themselves by scripting if they have a favorite show um, that they really like, and then they're just quoting the dialogue over and over again instead of engaging with you. Uh, they're not, yeah, they're, that's just a symptom of something that, and it varies for individual why they're doing it, but just something to keep in mind when trying to talk to them. Uh, also, they may seem younger, which I think can be very confusing to people that don't know the person with autism. Um, they may seem as young as a case presentation, you know, an adult that seems five, um, or they may be 16, but they're acting more like a 10-year-old uh, just because of that developmental delay. Uh, and then also a lot of people with autism I'm not sure why, but there has been some research on this, are bigger than people without autism. They're just taller, it's somehow genetically linked. Um, so that can also be confusing. You think that they're 16, but they look 25 and they're acting like they're 10. So just to kind of really keep in mind, okay, I need to think about them where they're at, not just how they look. And to also keep in mind that people with autism are typically very concrete. So using metaphors or, um, 
slang or threats uh, that maybe other people could say, okay, like that what they really mean is this uh, is not really going to work with someone with autism. They'll take you very seriously um, and may do things like almost too concretely. It seems almost disrespectful, but really they just don't have that abstraction always um, or ability to think that way, especially when they're stressed. So keeping in mind that when you're communicating with them, they're going to take everything literally that you say. And I think that would that help things go smoothly, even teenagers. So we expect teenagers to think more abstractly uh, than younger kids, but teenagers with autism sometimes miss that. Uh, so it's important to keep in mind. Okay, so this is a question for you all to think about. And then of course, if you um, have thoughts at the end of the presentation, um, I'm kind of transitioning now into some um, community and action things that we can do. Um, but I really wanna know like, what can we do? Um, I'm a provider, like I said, um, but I also have other community members and family members that I really would like to help out too. Um, so what are things that we can do and keep in mind when we're working with them? Um, to help improve these outcomes. So here are some current stats as I get more into specifically autism interactions with the police, especially the, um, that are teenagers. So there's some research on uh, these interactions. So about one in five of youth, so that's about, um, of youth with autism, so about 13 to 22, 25, uh, have been stopped and questioned by the police. So the odds that you are going to interact with somebody with autism are fairly high. Uh, and then by age 21, nearly 5% have been arrested. So it's not clear uh, why that was happening or what was leading to a lot of the arrests. Unfortunately, uh, some of the Data is a little skewed because they have to take it from news reports, which we all know is not always accurate. Um, however, they're, they're not always going well, is essentially what this is saying, is that they're being arrested and that it seems unlikely that someone with autism uh, would be engaging in a lot of criminal acts. Uh, maybe they are, but a lot of times there's resistance involved, which is probably a criminal acts, but just a misunderstanding or miscommunication with police that leads to negative interactions, um, as well as people with autism doing unusual things that we all need to work on to kind of understand and work with um, so that these interactions go better. Uh, and then I'd say there's another uh, one. I like to point this stat out that they have um, that nearly 60% of parents, so respondents to the survey reported being fearful of police contact. So, and these were people that had already had police contact uh, with their child with autism. So instead of feeling like, oh, this policeman and I, you know, we're on the same team, or I feel better about this, or, um, you know, more positive response, the majority, or at least 60%, said that they were afraid that this is going to happen again. Um, so I really want to talk about different ways that we can um, reduce that fear and just become more like helpful to each other with this, uh, especially because it's likely that it's going to happen. Okay, I want to see the, oh no, how do I go back? Sorry. There, so there are a few videos here 
Shoot, it looks like this one I won't be able to play, but I do want to highlight it. So big success for Albuquerque Police. Uh, had located a boy with severe autism. I think it was sometime last year. There was news on it. Um, and they just did a great job. So not only did they find him, but they're able to keep him calm and reunite him with his family. Uh, and they use a couple of strategies like motivating him with things that he might like. Um, and just staying very calm and uh, not escalating him. So that was great, yay PD, uh, and that sort of success. And then there's another video. Shoot, let me see if this will work. Sorry, everyone. Okay, great, this one, sorry, there's an ad, bear with me. Um, I really like this video because I think that this puts into reality, I guess, like in the real world, um, an effective strategy for helping uh, the police and the community and um, teenagers with autism to have better outcomes. So this is something that really happens um, that they're doing currently and is still successful. So I just want to share that for you all. Sorry about the ad. Um, it's essentially about a teenager who has autism that now uh, works at the police force where he is. I know sometimes it takes an active Congress doctor to get a video to play on Zoom. I don't have much crap myself. Oh no, is it not working? Okay, well, I'll just, I'll just talk about it. Sorry, everyone. Um, sorry about that. Okay, well. So go ahead. Do you have something else to say? Uh, no, no, ma'am. Just uh, okay. let me know. Okay, okay, thank you. All right, thank you. Um, so uh, what happens in that video is pretty incredible. A uh, boy with autism was confronted by police when he was around, I think, 11 or 12. Uh, and he had a really negative experience. Uh, it was really scary for him. Uh, he didn't know what to do, and it, he then, you know, got out of that. His parents um, became more involved, uh, and essentially, they hired him. And now he, as a teenager, he's an advocate with the police force. So he goes in and he does different trainings and um, different sorts of workshops, and just talks to the police about how to like have better outcomes with people with autism, like how to talk to them and what it's like for them. And I just think that that's really amazing because you have an advocate from the community that can, um, what it's like and really speak for that. Uh, and then also kind of have that bridge between the police force and the autism community uh, to increase that sort of rapport and knowledge between both groups because he'll obviously learns from them as well. So I just thought that that was really great and something to keep in mind if possible that I think would really uh, help. I think that that's probably one of the more successful strategies people have used in order to help like the mental health communities, autism communities and police in general. So I'll get more into that. Um, so this is where I'll talk more about the factors contributing to the success. So um, successful outcomes of these interactions include like community involvement. So having people with autism and their families know the police and that way when if the police have to come because there's a dangerous situation 
or something has happened and they're missing, they, when the person autism interacts with you, they're not scared. They know you. So it's not automatically escalating for them. And then also, you know them as well. So another account uh, that was successful, I think it was Chicago. I'm not sure, but there was another one of those videos um, where they knew him. And so they said, okay, we know that, you know, he wanders around, you know, we've known this person with autism for 10 years and okay, we'll go pick him up. Um, but instead of it being scary or the police officers being intimidated by his stimming behavior, those sort of repetitive calming strategies, um, they knew him and were able to stay calm as well and kind of redirect him towards um, something safer and get him home. So just that sort of community involvement and awareness of, okay, these are policemen, they're safe, uh, they're here to help, and really making that super clear from day one to people in the autism community, I think, uh, could be so helpful with these interactions, as well as um, police being familiar with these families. So the families getting out there um, to events or different um, opportunities to get to know their police force and you know sharing with them these things that are different about their child, uh, I think can be really helpful. Uh, resources, of course, can uh, always contribute to success. So just having a community that is aware and involved, uh, as well as like medical resources, um, therapy resources, and just places where they can go to get more help. So it doesn't feel like it's a constant battle or interaction. And then trainings as well. There are actually quite a few trainings uh, that are for this specifically. So uh, there are a few trainings that if you're really interested in uh, helping these interactions with autism and police that you can attend um, or have come to Albuquerque uh, that are fantastic, that have been going on for decades and have evidence base to them. So they've proven that they've have, that they're effective. And then, of course, like adapted and evidence-based approaches. So I thought this is really interesting. Uh, what I have clipped here is called the witness named first account technique for interviewing autistic witnesses and victims. So um, some researchers developed a different way of interviewing people with autism to get more accurate accounts and all of those important details. So using things like that when working with someone with autism, as opposed to maybe your typical training uh, may be helpful. So these are some opportunities uh, that I have here. So coffee with a cop, I'm not sure uh, what everybody has for their communities or uh, how this could work, but I just love this idea where, um, I think it's actually national now where a family member or a community member or somebody came up with Coffee with a cop, which is like a monthly meeting. I know it's hard with COVID, but maybe we can get creative um, where cops are kind of welcomed into the community and the community members are um, also welcome to events at like a coffee shop where there's coffee and bagels or donuts or whatever, and they sponsor the events uh, and they just get to know each other. So that really feeds into this idea and this evidence-based really um, practice and strategy of getting the community together and getting to know each other and having that rapport. 
And then there's also the New Mexico Autism Society. Uh, they're great. They are run by parents, self-advocates, other family members, providers um, that offer just tons of resources and events for people on the spectrum. And then I have a book listed for those. So the Curious Incident of a Dog in the Nighttime is actually, it starts with an incident in which a person with autism who's the main character of the book, uh, is caught in an unfortunate space and is caught with police in a very dangerous situation. And it talks a little bit about that experience. Um, so if there are any readers out there, I recommend it. And then even just informal community events. So um, just having police presence or people that are there to kind of just bridge again that gap, like however it works for you. So different uh, things that people like to do, or you can just mix together over common interests, uh, family events, things like that, I think are all, could all be effective and helpful um, as opportunities to kind of build that bridge. And then these are resources. So um, the University of New Mexico Center for Development and Disability is fantastic for diagnosis and, and uh, connecting families with resources as well. Uh, they're probably the highest resource center specifically with autism in the States. They do a lot of outreach as well. Uh, so they're, they're really great, especially in terms of diagnostics. Uh, they don't do as much treatment, but they're really good at connecting people to treatment. And they also do full developmental evals so they can kind of help families um, beyond autism as well. And then the Jumpstart Autism Center, I would highly recommend them for treatments um, or any other autism center that offers ABA. If you need to provide that to families, oh, they can, and they also do evaluations. Uh, and then Autism Speaks has so many resources, I couldn't name them all. Like they're a huge national, I think even international at this point, like lobbying organization. They have information and resources for parents, community members, everybody in 10 different languages. So they're a really good resource for people as well about what autism is, treatments, kids, teenagers, adults, just everything is there. Okay. So that's it.